Lord Jesus, we ask that as we have heard your word, that you would now help us to understand your word and apply your word and obey your word. I pray that you would give me a mouth of wisdom and clarity that I could communicate your words in your way to your precious people. Lord, I ask you that even as I preach, uh, that you would speak to my heart. And that with this church that I so love, we would together be more like you because of the next 30, 40 minutes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. How, how many of you really appreciate traditions? Are you a traditional person? Really, that's it? The rest of you just... How many of you just can't stand traditions? The rest are ambivalent. Well, I, I, for one, as long as I can remember, I have appreciated traditions. I, I have found comfort and peace in establishing regular, consistent, predictable rhythms in my life. And alas, I have given that desire to my boys. But I was thinking back on this, and when I was a child, you know, one of my favorite traditions was, was Fortnite Friday. So Fortnite Friday, uh, my mom and dad are here with us, uh, they well remember is where we would take all the blankets in the house and the chairs in the house and make a fort and try to sleep in it. Emphasis on try. Um, when I was in college, I, I loved the regular rhythm of you know, waking up, kind of whenever I wanted to, right? Go to class, do homework, work out, hang out with friends, go to bed, and repeat. I, I just love that regular rhythm, day after day after day. You know, as a dad, you know, I, I have new traditions, new rhythms to life. Things like waffles on Monday. So Monday's my day off, and my boys love it when Daddy makes waffles on Monday. Chronicles of Narnia at bedtime, great tradition, or birthdays at the beach. Both of my uh, oldest two boys are born in September, and so we celebrate their birthday at the beach. So I'm, I'm sure all of you, as you hear these things, you know, you're thinking, my family has its own traditions or our own, own regular rhythms. Uh, but in case you're one of those folks, like I asked a few minutes ago, who say, well, you know what, I am totally anti-tradition, and my mission in life is to make sure that today never looks like yesterday. Anybody like that? Yeah, some of you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's okay. Well, I want to let you know that in case you think, Matthew, I am not on the tradition rhythm bandwagon, if you talk to your doctor, I promise you, they would say that going to bed at roughly the same time every night is important for your physical health. You can be anti-traditional to the moon, but you still should go to bed at roughly the same time. Point being, there are physical rhythms that are essential for our physical health. What we're going to see this morning from Ephesians is that there are spiritual rhythms that are not one bit less critical for our spiritual health. A rhythm, a cycle, a pattern of life that's necessary for our spiritual health. So what's the, what's the rhythm? What's the pattern? Well, I'd say it this way. 
And I think we have a graphic to show you to illustrate this. There we go. If you see God's work, you will celebrate God's work by praying for God's work. If you see God's work, you'll celebrate God's work by praying for God's work, which it just so happens it's what is what's necessary to see God's work again. Get tracking? That rhythm, see, celebrate, pray, when it comes to God's work, is what Paul models for us in Ephesians 1, 15 to 17. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. Let's, let's let the text of Scripture prove this and work this out. So look at verse 15. Step number one. Paul is modeling for us, and we do well to imitate for our spiritual health. Step one, see God's work. Paul says, verse 15, first three words, for this reason. When he says for this reason, he's not just referring to what comes next. Okay? He's referring to what he just finished saying, namely verses 3 to 14. So here's what Paul knows is true of every Christian. This is the reason, for this reason. Listen, God has chosen us. God has predestined us. God has adopted us. God has blessed us. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. God has been gracious to us. God has given us wisdom. God has given us insight. God has united us to Christ. God has given us an eternal inheritance. God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. God has ensured that our life will ultimately glorify his name. All that is, is verses 3 to 14. And all of that, church, is true of every Christian. All of it. All the time. That's what Paul sees when he thinks about the Ephesians. That's what comes to his mind. But how does he know? How does he know that they're not an exception somehow? Well, that's true for every Christian, but maybe there's a little remainder line around over here. It's called Ephesus. And it's not quite true for them. How does he know all those glorious things in verses 3 to 14 I just read are true for the Ephesians? Well, back at verse 15, he says, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. That is a beautiful description of what it means to be a Christian. Faith working through love. If somebody ever asks you, what's the shortest possible definition you could give of being a Christian? Provided you define your terms. It's faith working through love. Trusting Jesus to save you and loving those he died to save. That's what it means to be a Christian. And real faith in Jesus always produces genuine love for other people. That's why Paul puts them together. He, he's, you can't separate those things. If you have real faith in Christ, then you're going to have genuine love for the people he died to save. You can't split those apart. And we're just Paul. And the reason, the reason you can't separate those things, church, is because when you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins so you could be made right with God, when, when you believe that, you come face to face with a reality, namely, God loves you. 
You come, you come face to face with that. You're confronted by that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that experience of God's love that enables you to turn around and love people. That, that's why these things are together. Faith working through love. Or as 1 John says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Right? And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God. Because God is love. And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Here's the way this works. When you become a Christian, you are freed from needing people to love you for your sake. Two... Love them for their sake. You cannot love someone truly, freely, when you have to have them loving you. That's selfishness. That's not genuine love. Only experiencing the love of God in Christ frees us to genuinely love others. So I'd say it this way. Real faith in Jesus always expresses itself in genuine love for others. But the reverse is also true. Okay? A sincere love for other people, follow me here, is always an expression of faith in God. Okay? Let's think about this. What's the first part? You can't separate these things. If you have faith in God, you'll love other people. It's also true that if you're genuinely loving other people, The only way that's going to happen is through faith in God. And here's why I say that. Because other people, including Christians, are really, really hard to love. Yeah. I mean, some of you are like halfway smiling. I hope this is just blindingly obvious. Other people are hard to love. And that includes Christians. We we hurt each other, right? Right? We deceive each other. We, we insult each other. We, we ignore each other. We, we overlook each other. We misunderstand each other. We get bitter. We take, we take revenge. On this side of heaven, please hear this. Christians are not this bunch of people that are just unbelievably easy to love. And if you think that, good luck. <laughs> you set yourself up for disappointment. We're not. I mean, I would even argue that in some ways, as a Christian... Loving a fellow Christian is harder, okay, because I have higher expectations of them. You know, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I'm grateful you're here. I really am. But you know what? I don't expect you to love me unselfishly. Because you have yet to experience the transforming love of God in Jesus Christ. But if you're a Christian, if you've experienced that, then my expectations start to go up. And I expect you to love me. I I expect you to love me unselfishly. And when you fail or I fail to deliver as expected, it's, it's hard to keep loving. But it's in those situations, the hard to love situations, right? Where if we're going to have any hope of, of not holding another Christian at arm's length when they inevitably hurt or disappoint us, that we have to have faith in God. Remember, the point is 
that apart from faith in God, we'll never be able to love one another. Here's why. Because faith says, Lord, you loved me when I was a sinner. You loved me when I was unlovely. Because you were willing to die for me, I know I can trust you to take care of me. I know that. I can trust you to provide for me. I don't need this other person's love to be content because I know you love me. You've never failed me. And because you love me, I know that you'll defend me. And I know that because you're a just God and you love me, you'll never let a wrong done to me go unpunished. So because you love me and because you'll protect me, I am free to love other people. In fact, I can love other people, not because I trust them to love me, but because I trust you, God, to love me. And because I'm so overwhelmed by your great love for me in Jesus that I can't help but overflow in love for others. Does that make sense? Faith working through love. It's, it's what it means To be a Christian. And that is what Paul saw in the Ephesians. Remember the first step in this pattern, this rhythm is see God's work. That's what Paul saw. He saw faith working through love. He didn't see perfection. Isn't that interesting? He didn't see a long list of spiritual accomplishments. He saw something supernatural. Faith working through love. I mean, mean, think about this. That is true of every Christian. Because it's what it means to be a Christian. On their good days, on their bad days, you know, when when we're not mature in the faith, when we're increasingly mature in the faith, it's always true. And sometimes it's hard to see, right? People are hard to love. It's hard to see. How is that person demonstrating faith working through love right now? I'm not seeing it. Kind of offended. It's hard to see sometimes, but we know it's always there because God put it there. You cannot be a Christian and not have faith working through love. And the fact that Paul saw that in the Ephesians is what filled him with this confidence, okay? Paul sees faith working through love. He sees that and he says, you know what? God is at work in you. I see something. I see faith working through love. I know those things can't be separated. That means you're a Christian, and guess what that tells me? God is at work in you. That's what he sees. So no doubt, Paul was familiar with all their blemishes, all their wrinkles, all their problems. He he writes a whole letter to help them grow. But more than anything else, Paul sees their faith. He says, I see your love. I'm convinced you're Christians. And so, guys, I'm convinced... Of these things that God has chosen you, God has predestined you, God has adopted you, God has blessed you, God has redeemed you, God has forgiven you, been gracious to you, given you wisdom, given you insight, united you to Christ, all, all those things that he just celebrated in 3 to 14. He sees faith working through love in the Ephesians and he knows, ah, God is at work in you. So here's my challenge to you, friends. When you look at another Christian, what do you see? Maybe it's somebody, you know, sitting down the aisle from you this morning. Or maybe it's somebody who will be in your home this afternoon or you work with. 
when you think of another Christian or, or look at another Christian, what, what do you see? Do you see, like Paul, God is at work in you? Or is the horizon of your mind filled with failures, sins, weaknesses? Yeah, I, I guess theoretically I know God's at work, but that's not what I see. What do you see? And if you can't think of another Christian and immediately, without a shadow of a doubt, say, God is at work in that person and here's how, then you are at risk of being spiritually blind. Because it's not a question of, of if God's at work. It's just a matter of how. If somebody's a Christian... He's always at work. There's always in some way faith working through love. But we need eyes to see that so we can see like Paul. But it's true of every Christian. God is at work in them, not theoretically or abstractly, but personally, particularly, and powerfully. And that's step one in this rhythm, to see God's work. And I want to challenge you. To whatever degree you hear me say that and you think, yeah, Matthew, but, but there are these one or two people that maybe you're thinking of right now. And I know they're Christians, but man, I just don't see where God's at work in their life. Brother or sister, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to ask God to give you new spiritual perception to see what he sees. Step one, see God's work. Here's step two. Look back at verse 15. Step two, celebrate God's work. See God's work, celebrate God's work. Back at 15. For this reason, he says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to what? Give thanks for you. Give thanks for you. So here's the connection. It's really simple. If you see God's work, you're going to celebrate God's work. If you see God's work, you'll give thanks for God's work. Those who find it difficult, if not impossible, to thank God for another person whom they know is a Christian, do not see what God sees. Namely, that he's at work. Because if you saw what God sees and saw how God was at work in every Christian, then your heart, like Paul, would overflow in thanksgiving for all the same. And gratitude for all the saints. And there are three things about Paul's thanksgiving. And just a short phrase that I want to point out to us. That we want to notice. Okay, first, Paul's thanksgiving is God-centered. It's God-centered. Biblical thanksgiving is always God-centered. So remember, remember that God's work in verses 3 to 14 is what enables the Ephesians' faith and love in verse 15. So, here's what Paul knows. God's work is the origin of all fruit in the Ephesians' lives. And therefore, my gratitude to God, when I look at them, has its origin in God. My gratitude for the Ephesians isn't ultimately about what the Ephesians They're doing things, faith working through love. But it's rooted in something way bigger than that. 
God's work in them. That is the only sustainable source for genuine Christian gratitude. It must be God-centered. Or it is not sustainable. There, there would be no faith in the Lord Jesus if God had not, verse 8, lavished upon them all wisdom and insight. There would be no love for all the saints if God had not, verse 4, chosen them before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. And Paul isn't thanking the Ephesians. Notice that. He doesn't say, I do not cease to give thanks to you. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. For you. He's thanking God. Because when he looks at them, he sees a testimony and a monument to the power of God. Thanksgiving is God-centered. Okay, second. I want to linger on this one. Paul's Thanksgiving is is personal, and I've alluded to this. He, do, he doesn't say, I do not cease to give thanks. You know, I just kind of like generically give thanks. Thanks, thanks. No, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. There's, not, there's nothing generic about Paul's thanksgiving. There's nothing generic about celebrating God's work. And I just want us to stop for a minute and think about what What must it have been like to be one of those Ephesian Christians? And as you're hearing this letter read, you hear the Apostle Paul himself say, I thank God for you. I mean, just imagine, what would that have, put yourself in their shoes, what would that have done in your heart? The Apostle Paul walked in right now and looked you in the eyes and said, I thank God for you. You know, I wonder how many of the Ephesians thought, Apostle Paul, grateful for me? I mean, I, I don't think of myself as being that special. <laughs> I don't even think I'm a very good Christian. I mean, I've, I've worked hard to trust Jesus. I try to love people. It's hard. But, I mean, that's, that's just what Christians are supposed to do, right? I mean, pretty ordinary. Trust God. Love people. I'm just trusting God. I'm just loving people. I mean, why would Paul be grateful for me? <laughs> well, here's the problem with that. You're just trusting God. You're just loving people. (laughs) Do you realize, Ephesians, friend, do you realize this morning, to whatever degree you trust God and love people, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. We're, We're not born with faith in God and love for people. That is a miracle of grace. And I imagine Paul, when he when he realizes that there's faith in God, there's love for people, he thinks back to how they used to worship Artemis. The idol, and now the worshiping King Jesus. And Paul knows, guys, you might not feel special, but get this. You are an unbelievably loud testimony to the power of God. And so I thank God for you. It's as if Paul is more convinced that God is real, God is good, God is on the move, God is powerfully at work because of what he sees in the Ephesians. They affect him in that way. 
And friend, if you haven't experienced this, something amazing happens in the spiritual realm when you tell another Christian, I thank God for you. Maybe it happened to you this morning. Maybe you're thinking, I wish it happened to me this morning. (laughs) There are few things that more effectively help us as brothers and sisters in Christ become more aware that God is real, God is good, God is here, God's on the move inside of me, I have a purpose in life, I have a reason to get up tomorrow. All those things start to grow and strengthen when somebody says to you, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. It brings an assurance that God is at work in me when somebody says that to me. That's priceless. Celebrating God's work strengthens my faith. So, so let me challenge you, Kingsway. Okay, don't let a week or a community group meeting or a Sunday morning meeting or a phone call or a lunch point with another Christian go by without stopping at some point and saying, brother or sister, I thank God for you. And let me tell you why. That, that should just be a regular part of our church culture. I thank God for you. And here's why. Because if, if we're going to be a church of disciple-making disciples, okay, a church that helps one another enjoy a growing relationship with God, here's what we're going to have to be really good at. The discipline of spiritual encouragement. We're going to have to excel at that because it's through spiritual encouragement saying, I thank God for you. And let me tell you why that God uses more than almost anything else to help us grow in our relationship with him. That's amazing. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you have unbelievable power through your words to help another Christian grow to love God and trust God. And it can be as simple as what Paul did. Brother, sister, I thank God for you. And here's why. Here's why. Paul's Thanksgiving was God-centered. Paul's Thanksgiving was personal. And lastly, Paul's Thanksgiving was continual. Notice what he says. I do not cease to give thanks for you. That's provoking. That's provoking. You know, I, I think of, boy, how many times that my gratitude for another Christian, maybe even a spouse, right, if we're honest, is seasonal or occasional, comes and goes. The challenge here is for you and I, by the grace of God, to never cease to thank God for the Christians around us. It's unending. It's personal and it's God-centered. That's what celebrating God's work looked like in the Apostle Paul. And may it be the case in our church, folks. Step two, celebrate God's work. Okay, very simple. See it? Celebrate it? Here's the final step. Pray for God's work. Okay, look back at verse 16. Back at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. We want to see God's work, celebrate God's work, and pray for God's work. In a couple weeks, 
try to illustrate this last point. Um, I will be submitting soil samples from my yard to southern states. Also do that for my garden. Now, in case you're thinking, Matthew, what in the world are you doing? Well, I'll confess to you, I was a chemistry major in college. Um, I still have several chemist nerd bones in my body. (laughs) And I care about things like how much nitrogen, phosphorus, or potassium, or other minerals are in the ground in my yard. And the reason I do is that there are certain kinds of grass and certain kinds of vegetables that I know, as a former chemist, need certain ratios of nutrients. Okay, If I have you know, too much nitrogen, not enough phosphorus, I won't get enough flowers on my tomato plants, for example. I know, it's a chemist thing. But the point is, I care about the soil in my yard because I know that only certain kinds of plants can grow in that soil. And if I want a different kind of plant, I have to change something in the soil. Okay, tracking? Certain kinds of soil grow certain kinds of plants. Here's the spiritual parallel. Fervent, confident prayer will only grow in the soil of gratitude. Okay? If you are not seeing God's work in another Christian and then celebrating God's work in that Christian, you will never be able to grow the plant of fervent, continual prayer for that Christian. You know why? Because you'll never have faith that God is at work in them. You have to see God's work and you have to celebrate God's work if the soil of your heart is growing to, going to grow the plants of faithful, fervent prayer for those people who are really hard to love, especially. That's the way it works. If you don't see and you don't celebrate, You'll never faithfully pray. Or if you try to pray, it won't be confident. I'd say it this way. I've never met a Christian. Never. No exaggeration. Think of all the Christians I've met who was faithful in prayer and weak in gratitude. Never. And just think about people you know that are faithful in prayer. Inevitably, they are strong in gratitude. And it works like this. When your gratitude is weak, when all you see is is sin and weakness and and failure in other people, other Christians, then you might acknowledge that God is at work. You know, like, checkbox. Theoretically, God is at work. But that's not going to be a reality in your mind. You're you're not going to be convinced of that. And if you let that continue, if your confidence that God is at work in that person erodes because it inevitably will erode over time because you're failing to celebrate that work, then eventually you'll find yourself thinking, you know what? I just can't even pray for them anymore. I have no desire to pray for them. And I really hope they don't ask, and in some awkward small group, I'm not made to, because I have no desire to pray for you. Well, that's, how did that happen? Very simply, you stopped seeing God's work. And then at some point, you stop celebrating God's work. And because of that, voila, you now have no faith to pray for God's work. Only Christians who see it and celebrate it can pray for it over a long period of time. That was Paul's rhythm. That was his rhythm. And notice what he prays for. Verse 17 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you what? A spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We're going to look at this more next week. What what exactly does it mean to know God? What, What kinds of things is Paul praying that the Ephesians would experience so that they would know God? He's very specific in the remainder of chapter one. But here's what I want us to see today as we prepare to wrap up. The single best thing you can pray for another Christian, having seen God's work in them, celebrated God's work in them, is that they would know God. That is the single best thing you can pray. And friend, I want to challenge you. Resist the temptation to pray self-centered prayers for other people. So often, I mean, husbands and wives, we can do this. As co-workers, we do this. As parents, we do this. We pray for things for other people that ultimately are just driven by, I want to be comfortable. You know, God, would you, would you give my kids self-control? Why? So, so I can watch what I want to watch. You know, God, God would, you, would you help my wife trust you? Why? So she doesn't come in with all her crazy questions when I'm reading the newspaper at night. Right? I mean, it just, we, we can pray for things that sound so godly on the outside, but it's really selfish. You know, I can do that. You know, would you change that person's heart, Lord, because I'm tired of answering their emails. You know, it just, we can do that. We can do that. When you see God's work, celebrate it. And when you're celebrating it, allow that celebration, that Thanksgiving, to overflow in a prayer for God's work that has God as its object. Namely, that that person in whom you see God's working and you're celebrating God working would know God. Yeah, that's why, I don't get tired of saying this, our mission as a church is to help one another enjoy a growing relationship with God. It's so critical. And it's the most important thing we can pray for each other. So my challenge to you this week, Kingsway, is very simple. Follow Paul's example. Imitate his rhythm by excelling at seeing God's work, celebrating God's work, and praying for it. Can we do that? Do that? Well, let me tell you, if there's one thing I want to be known for as a church in this community, it's that. Just, just imagine, what would it be like? Oh, Kingsway, yeah. You go there, and you can't leave without somebody pointing out how God is at work in your life. That's powerful. And there are a few practices that we can have as a people, even when we gather on Sundays, that I think help us to see, celebrate, and pray for God's work more than sharing testimonies. Sometimes those are long and prepared and somebody's up here. Sometimes those are very short and spontaneous and they're in the foyer. But this morning I'd like us to be able to hear from our brother Doug Bear so that we can see God's work and celebrate God's work and pray for God's work. Could you join me in welcoming Doug?
Well, good morning. Before I get started, I would just like to give a thank you to our praise team. One of my favorite things to do is sing praise to the Lord, and this morning was just over the top, and it's just a taste of things to come. So thanks, guys. Well, here it is, another yearly update, and it has been a, an eventful year. It's hard to believe that it's been over four years since my initial diagnosis of ALS. For those of you who don't know, ALS, or as it's sometimes known in the United States as Lou Gehrig's disease, is a disease that eats away at the nerves surrounding your muscles, eventually causing the muscle to die. They call it wasting. ALS usually starts in one or more of your extremities. Eventually, it will affect your ability to walk, swallow, talk, and finally breathe. There is no known cure for ALS. The normal progression of this disease is two to five years, although some people live longer, some less. I feel blessed that I have been diagnosed with a slower-moving form of ALS. I visit the ALS clinic at VCU and the VA every three months. The disease started in my right hand and arm, and I now can do very little with that arm. It has started to progress to my left arm and right leg. I wear a brace on my right foot to prevent it from dropping and we're tripping on something. I now use a walker most of the time, and the VA has provided me with a motorized wheelchair for when that time comes. I am a Navy veteran from Vietnam War, and a little-known fact about ALS is that if you have been in the service, there is a 50% better chance of getting ALS than non-veterans. They have no idea why, it has nothing to do with a branch of service, overseas duty, combat duty, where you were stationed. They just don't know. Anyway, because of that fact, in 2008, they passed laws which give veterans with ALS some major benefits. The VA has paid for handicap renovations in our house, a power wheelchair, most of the cost of a wheelchair van, and equipment that I might need. I know the VA has gotten a bad rap in recent years, but I cannot say enough good about them. The doctors and nurses I have seen have been excellent. So moving along, I have to say the past six months have been my most difficult yet. For the first two or three years, the disease really didn't affect me that much. I was able to do pretty much what I wanted to do. Then my left arm and right leg became weaker, and I'm now unable to do some of the most simple tasks, such as cut up my food, pull a shirt over my head, or button a button. This is really hard to accept for a person who is always a fix-it kind of guy and was able to take care of things myself. 
think this is one of the lessons God has taught me. I now have to trust and rely on him, other family, and friends. I can't do it all myself. Another thing I've realized is not to take things for granted, even little things. Some of the tasks that I really didn't used to enjoy, mowing the lawn, pulling weeds, spreading mulch, vacuuming, cleaning dirty dishes, I would give anything to be able to do those things now. Even during the recent snowstorm, as I watched folks shoveling out their driveways, how I yearned to go out and do that again. God has taught me, however, that even though there are many things I can no longer do, I can still be thankful for many things I can do, such as I can still walk in the morning with my grandkids. I can still enjoy a good meal. I can still play cards and games and laugh with friends. I can still read God's word and pray. I also have many excellent memories from last year. We were able to take our whole family, kids and grandkids, on a Disney cruise and later in the year for a beach week. I was able to to do some biking on a trike, a three-wheeled bike, again provided by the VA. That was really fun. A few of my best memories were attending the baptism two of my ALS buddies. Jose was baptized right here in Kingsway. And Rob Morgan was baptized at his home. Guys, God did not physically cure us of ALS, but he certainly did spiritually heal us. One day soon, we will be dancing with Jesus free of this horrible disease. Let me close with this scripture from 2 Corinthians that I've shared before. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you for your prayers. God bless you, and to God goes the glory.
I think that did more good than my whole sermon talk. <laughs> Do you realize he just did what Paul did? He just helped us see God's work, celebrate God's work. And, and Doug, I want to pray for you. I, I wanted to do it up here, but I want you to be comfortable. Um, so I'm going to go down and pray for Doug, okay? Let's pray for Doug. Oh, Lord. Oh, Father, I... I don't know why you allow stuff like this to happen. I don't understand it. It just seems so wrong. And it hurts. Lord, it it hurts his family. It hurts his wife. It hurts us as his brothers and sisters. And Lord, I... I don't know why. But then I hear him say, with a heart of trembling faith, that he knows, because you said, that this trouble is preparing for Doug Bear an eternal weight of glory. And Lord, this morning, as his church family, we say, Amen. Amen, Lord. We believe you. We believe you when you read your word. And God, we pray that you would help our brother to finish well. Would you protect his faith? Pray that as his body falls apart, that his faith would grow. Lord, we don't know if we'll have another year with him. We pray that no matter what the future holds, that you would bring peace and comfort. And Lord, if it be your will, we ask you for a miracle of intervention to heal this man. God, if you decide not to do that, we pray that you would give him a loud voice and that his story and his testimony would be used by you to impact many, many, many men and women whose bodies are wasting away and right now don't know you. Would you use Doug, Lord, to lead many to Christ this year? We pray for his wife, Karen. We ask you to comfort her in her sorrow and grief. Would you sustain her faith day by day? Lord, assure her of your great love for her so that she would have love to give Doug. Thank you that we get to walk alongside him, Lord. We are humbled, very humbled by his example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You are dearly loved. Dearly loved. Band, if you'd come on up. I want us to be able to Sing to the Lord Church, and then after we sing a song, Josh will come up and lead us in sharing communion. Well, let's stand and sing together.